So as we were thinking about this topic of, yeah, relationships, especially in the last several years, have just felt really, really hard. Divisiveness is up. Disagreements seem to take the forefront in people's minds. Um, there's just so much defensiveness. And it can feel so very complex and overwhelming. But simply sitting together, well, that's a doable place where everyone can start. Um, and so we really wanted to put forth it as, as an invitation that shows, I think, a level of humility and hospitality and a willingness to listen. Because there's a difference between saying, come over here and listen to me argue my agenda. <laughs> That's very different than saying, come sit with me. And so it's putting relationship, putting people over positions. You're about to finally accomplish something you've been waiting for and working toward. But then you get sideswiped again. Maybe your life feels like a perpetual Groundhog's Day with the sink full of dirty dishes and the unending pile of bills. Perhaps it seems like no one can tell you've done anything when it feels like all you've done is everything. This is a podcast for the defeated dreamer, the discouraged achiever, and the exhausted perfectionist in all of us. Imagine having a simple plan, a strategy to use in those moments when you feel like you can never accomplish what's important to you, when the things you are doing don't make much of a difference, and when you're wondering, do I even matter? I'm Sherry Fletcher, and I have so been there, but what I've come to understand is that God has a plan for your life and the enemy has a plot against that plan. This is why you need a spiritual strategy. I'm glad you're here and we're on the same team. So let's work on a spiritual game plan together. Today, I'm gonna to be speaking with Becky Keefe. Becky is a beloved speaker and author. She is also the community and editorial manager for Dayspring's Encourage a widely followed online community that empowers women to be like Jesus. Becky loves writing about motherhood, anxiety, and God's lavish kindness. She and her husband live near Los Angeles, where they enjoy hiking shady trails with their three spirited sons. Today, Becky and I will be talking about the book, Come Sit With Me, How to Delight in Differences, Love Through Disagreements, and Live with Discomfort, a book that she compiled edited and helped write along with 26 other women who also write for Encourage. There is no doubt that relationships are hard and it is our hope that today we can leave you with some tools to help navigate some of those tensions and leave you with some grace-filled learning moments. I am excited today to welcome Becky Keefe to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here. So, um, we are going to be talking about a book that you co-wrote and you compiled um, with a bunch of wonderful ladies, but I would love it if you would just give us a little personal information and what you're doing in your personal ministry as well. Yeah. Well, I live in Southern California. I've been married to my husband, Chris, for 17 years, and we have three spirited boys. Um, anyone else listening have parented spirited children? Um, so, But we're in a really sweet 
just stage. Um, the boys are now 10, 12 and 14. And I just love like just being a part and watching who they are becoming. Um, so I really enjoy this, this season. Um, and yeah, so I get to work for encourage. I'm the community and editorial manager there. Um, and I also do my own writing and speaking. Um, I love speaking about anxiety and, motherhood and how God meets us in the thick of it and really how daily we can experience the kindness of God and have the opportunity to partner with God in showing his love and kindness to others. So life is life is full, but it's 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 really good and I'm grateful. That is good. Yes, boys. I love boys. I have two. I have a daughter as well, but boys will keep keep you on your toes for sure. Oh my goodness. And I grew up with mostly uh, my mom and my two sisters. And so now to go from like a life of of females to a life of males. I was like, I was not prepared for this, but that's just all the more reminder why I need Jesus every day. I had my daughter first and um, I felt really good about my parenting. And then God is like, Hmm, I think you need to be humbled a little bit. I'm going to give you two boys. I was like, okay, I see. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Got it. So I have um, two questions that I love to ask every guest. Number one is looking back on your life. How far back can you see the very purpose that you're living out today and who you've always been? Hmm. It goes a long time back. I can remember vividly as a second grader um, being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, Becky? You know, like the pinnacle question, um, even doing like a little school project where you had to do like a self-portrait of of your future self. And from that young age, I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, I've just always loved words, loved stories, um, even loved speaking. And I always knew that somehow I was made to write. And really that has led into what I felt the Lord called me to many, many years ago, which was really to a ministry of words. And so whether that's through pages or Instagram squares or on stages, um, just loving being a communicator of, of hope and encouragement and allowing God to use my not polished, not perfect stories um, <laughs> along the way. I love that. Is there anything that you've ever been thanked for that you didn't even realize you did well or that someone actually valued you for it? Hmm. You know, one time I was thanked for something and it totally caught me off guard, but I was thanked for setting boundaries and leaving well. And what that meant was I was for a long time, I was part of a really vibrant and thriving ministry at my church that I helped start and I loved it and I loved the women and it just was so life-giving. But after many years, I felt the Lord asking me to step away so that I could um, just be even more available for the ministry that he was calling me to of of speaking and writing. Um, And on our ministry team, which was quite large, we had a very robust and active group text. Um, And oftentimes if someone on the team would move away or had to stop the team, they would still stay on the text thread because it was friendships and they just loved it so much. But I really felt like when I said my goodbye and let everyone know that I was leaving, that then I also like, I left, I left that group thread because I just felt like I, I needed that, that margin and to really have that clean break. And weeks later, I ran into a friend and she was like, that 
meant so much to me to see you leave. And it was like, you were so clearly being obedient to what God had called you to do. And I don't know, it didn't mean a lot to me, but it meant a lot to her. And I thought, wow, that's really cool, Lord. I love that. And it's, it's true. You never know what you're doing. Your obedience to Christ was to someone else. Like, wow, that's what that looks like. Yeah. I I like hearing that. So um, in the introduction, I mentioned that we are going to be talking about the book, Come and Sit With Me. And I also named the subtitle. But for me, um, we're talking this month about God having a game plan for conflict. Mm -hmm. And so when I read that title, if I were having a conflict with someone and they said, you know, can you come and sit with me? Just hearing that phrase, I think would really kind of take down some of my defenses. If I knew we were going to have a hard conversation, there was going to be some conflict. And so right away, I'm like, this is a good book for having a game plan here for some conflict. So um, more than two dozen writers came together to share their stories about how they deal with differences, disagreements, conversations that are hard. And what was what I loved about this book was at the end of each story, the reader would invite or the writer would invite the reader to sit down and learn from the experience. And then they have some questions that they could ask themselves and ask God. So I kind of looked at this like this is like playbook mm-hmm. for conflict. So I wanted to know with the title, how did you guys come up with that concept of come sit with me instead of five steps on how to delight with your differences? Yeah. Well, I love that your initial reaction, Sherry, was that feeling like, oh, like kind of it, it, it is it is disarming, right? Mm-hmm. To 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 hear that as more of an invitation than a how-to. And so as we were thinking about this topic of yeah, relationships, especially in the last several years, have just felt really, really hard. Divisiveness is up. Disagreements seem to take the forefront in people's minds. Um, there's just so much defensiveness and it can feel so very complex and overwhelming. But simply sitting together, well, that's a doable place where everyone can start. Um, and so we really wanted to put forth it as as an invitation that shows, I think, a level of humility and hospitality and a willingness to listen. Because there's a difference between saying, come over here and listen to me argue my agenda. That's very different than saying, come sit with me. And so it's putting relationship, putting people over positions. Mm, I like that. People over positions. And I like when you said an invitation, because there's nothing worse than someone saying, we need to talk. Oh, right. (laughs) It's like, what? Oh, but if someone's like, hey. Can you come, you know, come have, can you come over in here and sit with me for a minute? Or you, mm-hmm. yeah, you're immediately like, okay, this isn't going to be a standoff. Right. Yeah. So it was hard to pick which one of these stories like to just highlight because they were each really good. Um, but I'm going to start off with one that I think is really important to start off with is how do you honor and value individuals when we disagree? Because right now it just seems like, you can't even start a conversation without immediately finding something you disagree with, uh, whether it's religion or politics, and it's just ruined. You know, the topic's over or relationships are ruined and it's sad. So there was a couple, there was one in particular, a story that was really good, but how do you honor these individuals when you disagree on things? 
Yeah. Well, I think you might be talking about um, chapter one, which is by Jennifer Dukes Lee, and it's called Table of One. And I love this story too, and it really sets the stage for the theme of this whole book um, because she talks about how, and she's very honest and vulnerable, of how she and her husband, um, for the most part, over decades of marriage, vote differently. And so they go to the polling place knowing that their votes are essentially going to cancel each other out. And that could be a very contentious place to be, especially in a marriage. When you think like, we we have built our lives together. Shouldn't we see eye to eye? Shouldn't we you know, choose to live out our values in the exact same way? And so she talks about how she and her husband decided early on, kind of like what I said before, that they were going to value one another, value them each other as people over elevating their own positions or trying to tear down the other person's position. And so she walks us through how they now have this tradition of every time they go to vote, afterwards they go to the same diner and they sit together in the same booth and share, you know, whether it's French fries or milkshakes and they listen. They are willing to listen to the other person um, and ultimately to say, like, we care more about one another than the issues of the day, that our marriage, our family, our community, we're going to value that over whether we can even hash out all of these differences. So it wasn't the point wasn't to really even get the other person to agree with them, but to remind each other, you are important. I respect you even when I don't agree with you. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's easier said than done. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I like that in the book there, that you have some questions that we can ask ourselves. And um, I don't know, do you have one of those handy? If not, I can look one up. But- yeah. So one, so one at the end of this chapter is asking yourself, who could I invite to the table, giving him or her an opportunity to talk while my main job is to listen? And I love that question because to be honest, I do this and I think a lot of us do this. We will come to a table, to a conversation, eager to be the one to talk, eager to be heard. Or even when someone else is talking, don't we do this? We're automatically thinking about how we're going to refute what they said or why, you know, how they misunderstood us. Like, but to come and say, who can I say, would you come and sit with me? and then make it your main job to listen. Wow. If we all did that, I think our relationships would be really transformed. Yeah. And try to find something, try to pay attention and find something that they say that you can agree with Mm -hmm. or that you share in common and go from there. Right. Finding that common ground or even asking follow-up questions like, can you share with me more about your experience of how you got to that place? Or you know, what, what led you to that conviction? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So I listened to one of the podcasts you did with Kathy Lip because before we hit record, um, we were talking about, we have that in common. We have some friends in common. And yeah. Kathy Lip is one of them. And Kathy Lip is a clutter-free expert. And I loved the topic that you guys shared on, you know, where it's important where we have this conversation. Um, cause for me, 
I, I actually get really grumpy if I'm in a cluttery space. Mm. So if there's a lot of chaos in the room, it's dirty. Um, my own room, I'm talking about my own and my own environment. If I'm in a room and, and my dishes are dirty and there's laundry on the floor or my desk is a mess and someone comes in and says, can we have a talk right here? I, I just can't, I'm going to be distracted. I'm going to be like, Oh, the dishes are, I can't do it. Or, um, I've had a lot of people over and someone wants to talk at the end of that. No, no that's not going to be a good place to have a hard conversation. And you and Kathy talked about some great places that you could meet um, and how that makes a difference. Yeah. And I, and really this is not, and you'll find this in the book as well, that we're not prescribing like a one size fits right. all kind of formula, right? but really a starting point, a launching pad to thinking through like, yeah, how can I have productive, respectful, tender conversations with people? And so I love that you know that about yourself, Sherry. And so you can say, okay, no, this is not going to be a good space. So you could think through, you know, maybe, maybe you need something that feels like, like a neutral, like playing field. You know, if there's, especially if it's something contentious, like, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's meet at Starbucks or I love this local park and there's a bench and we can look at the lake. Um, you know, there's lots of, you know, Hey, we both, whatever, you know, go to the nine 30 service at church. Let's meet at the diner, you know, down the street afterwards. Um, whatever you think is going to be a place where you can show up and be fully present and, and, and fully engaged, then that's a good place to start. What, what, what from that conversation or, or as you have thought about it, do you think would be helpful for you to invite someone to come sit with you in a particular place? Yeah. Well, one thing that I, that, that made aware of, like, say I was going to have someone over to my house Mm -hmm. to have a conversation. I liked how you and Kathy talked about setting up the environment to be, um, have something maybe they could hold because people get nervous and they yeah. want to hold something. And so having a cup of tea or water or something that they could hold, um, to, that, that breaks up, you know, something that could be a hard conversation. Um, or maybe if I am aware that this is going to be a hard conversation and maybe they might feel, I don't want to say threatened in my home or like, okay, she's having me in her house and she's the one that wants to, um, bring up a hard conversation, being aware that, and maybe they might feel more comfortable if I say, you know, I want to talk about something, this and this that happened. Where would you like to meet? Is there a place mm-hmm. you'd like to meet? Maybe that way they feel like, okay, she's giving me some control of this conversation. And now we've already set the tone that yeah. this is going to be a two, a, a, a two way. And um, so just listening to how, you know, you guys talked about the environment being um, something that makes it comfortable for both of us and not just, I'm mad, we're going to talk, come over here, and just being aware of how that's received on their end. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, So I I grew up in a house of faith, and so I'm used to hearing the scriptures um, on different things of trusting and situations when we're disappointed. And um, one that you brought up in the book was the Romans 8.28, that, you know, God works all things for good. And I know that you're familiar with it, but some circumstances, they, they seem hopeless. They seem like, okay, this is not going to get repaired. And I've prayed about it. And we know God can work all things, but 
Um, it just seems like it's not going to happen. But after reading your story, I, I was just, I was shocked. Like, I just loved that story about this miracle. But I loved how um, God asked you to partner in this. And and I loved your humble spirit. Um, hmm. So how, how did God ask you to partner? Yeah. So the story that Sherry's talking about is in my chapter called, What If Pain is the Stage for Miracles? And I share about a really painful chapter in my life, which was really a long chapter um, that started with my parents' divorce when I was about nine years old. And they just had a very contentious relationship through my years of, of growing up. Um, and I kind of share some of those things. I mean, to the point of, um, I didn't, at one point, I didn't know if my dad was going to come to my wedding because my mom said that she didn't want to sit next to my dad and his new wife in the same row. And my dad said, well, I'm not willing to sit behind your mom. Like it was one of those kinds of things where just, just the pain from that divorce was like shrapnel, like that just hit everything in its wake for a really long time. And so um, probably about three, four years after that wedding, and they did not sit in the same row, but they both did come um, and it all was okay. Um, kind of out of the blue, my mom asks one day, hey, Becky, what would you think about if I invited your dad to join us for Thanksgiving dinner? And like jaw on the floor, <laughs> like, what? Who, who are you? Who do you like? What? And she went on to explain lots of reasons. Um, you know, she understood that it's really hard for my sisters and I, who we were all married at the time and, you know, bouncing from one event to the next to the next. And by now at this time, my dad was divorced for a second time. His health was failing. Really, his life was in shambles in, in every possible way. And she said, you know, ultimately, like, the Lord is just asking me to extend this invitation. And I don't even think he's going to accept it. But what do you think? And so when you talk about how did God call me to partner with him in this, initially, I didn't want to because I was like, no, no. What do I think about it? No. The answer is no. Like, why would I invite that level of tension and potential animosity into my holiday gathering. Like I want to enjoy my meal, but God, because he's God and he is good. He was working on my heart while he was working on my dad, on my mom's heart. And then my dad's and my sister's. And eventually what I realized was he was saying, Becky, do you trust me? Do you trust that what is impossible for humans, what is impossible for your family to do on their own, like it's not impossible for me. And I can bring about um, a new chapter of, of healing and, and restoration. Um, and a big thing that that required was humility, humility on each and every one of our parts for my mom to humble herself and invite my dad into her home for my dad, who was a very prideful person to be willing to accept that invitation when he was really in a place of deep need. And then for my sisters and I to say, okay, like we're not going to hold all of this relational baggage against our parents. Um, we're going to let down these walls that are worried. I can at least speak for myself. I was worried about just adding to all of those levels of of pain and dysfunction um, and to say, okay, like I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to love well, even 
if someone else doesn't love well in return. Um, and so that was ended up being the first of, of many holiday meals that my dad ended up sharing with us um, until, until he passed away a few years wow. after that. What a blessing. What a blessing that you let him come sit with you. Yeah. And even though, you know, you didn't know, you, it, you were willing, even though you thought this could be so uncomfortable. But I, and you know, you were just willing to open your heart, obey the call and, yeah. and see what God had. I just was so like, wow, God asks us to partner with him in conflict. Yeah. I just, that was so. And that like, to, there's also freedom in knowing I didn't have to come and have all the answers. Like growing mm. up, I often took on the role of peacemaker in my family, mm. trying to run interference between my parents, trying to make sure that everyone was, you know, as comfortable as possible. And so also another part of that journey was going into that Thanksgiving as well as other interactions and realizing, okay, like, God is responsible for each one of these people who he loves and he is for. And again, like I can show up and love well and listen um, and make space, but that burden doesn't have to rest on my shoulders. And I think that's something that's important for us to remember as we think about those whom we disagree with, or um, we just feel like we have differences that are insurmountable. Um, who is in control? If you are trying to be the person in control, it's not going to work out well. You're going to continue to feel weighed down and in bondage and overwhelmed. But when we say, okay, God, however you want to work, I, I believe that you work in all things for the good of those who love you and have been called according to your purpose. If I believe that, then I can trust that you are working even when I can't see how this is all going to come together. Mm. I like that. And I need to write that down. Sherry, you're not in control. Shoot. <laughs> I'm a seven. Right. So you just want things to be like good and let's just move on and yeah, let's just keep find the going. positive. Yes. Well, you're a three, right? Uh-huh. Kind of. You're kind. You have a little bit of that in you, don't you? Um, yes, definitely the control piece. Yeah, for sure. Of wanting, or yeah. And feeling like if I just try hard enough, if I, if I just achieve a certain level of X, Y, Z, then I will be able to make things okay. Yes. Yep. You have goals. Um, one of the stories that actually was a really big aha for me, um, and it's hard, and I, I, I wrote it down. I highlighted this because I, I, I have to go back and just keep reminding myself is um, forgiving before the apology. And it said, God puts forgiveness in our court. Forgiving someone before they apologize makes true reconciliation and restoration feasible and much easier. I'm still having to process this, <laughs> um, you know, that it could, this difficult situation could turn out better if I forgive before I go into this situation. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, I mean, I have to, I wrote that down. It's like, I have to really think about that and really work on that. But what are some questions that we can ask God and ourselves to prepare our hearts for forgiveness before an apology? And what if there never is an apology? Yeah. So that quote that you read, that's by Stephanie Bryant. So that was in Stephanie's um, chapter. And I, 
I like what you said about like what it, and even if there never is an apology, because really what I think I have to often get through my thick little skull is that forgiveness really isn't, it's, it's not a transaction between ourselves and someone else. It's a, it's a transaction between our own hearts and the Lord. And so we can forgive even if that apology hasn't come yet. And even if it doesn't come now, reconciliation is a whole different thing because you could forgive someone and still have that relationship not be repaired. Um, but yeah, Stephanie provides us some, some, some great questions, um, to think through, like just asking yourself, am I holding unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt me? Knowing they may or may not apologize, will I choose to forgive them anyway? When I really calm my mind and quiet my spirit and think about that, yeah, yeah, there there probably is some deeper levels of unforgiveness that, that I am holding on to. And then she follows that up with um, another question, which I think is great. How would accepting the truth that people can and do change impact my relationships. Because I think sometimes we can hold on to our unforgiveness, believing that, well, they're never going to change. They're never going to see the error of their ways. They're always going to be like this. Um, and then when we have that attitude, it also puts on blinders to our eyes of seeing how God is working in someone's life. Um, and so Stephanie shares this, you know, a story about she and her husband and how she was deeply just you know, hurt and felt like he was not making choices that were honoring um, to her and the family. Um, and one, we see that there was change and growth, um, but two, that Stephanie found um, a place of, of freedom and peace within herself before any of that happened. Right. And it, she was, she had done it not knowing he was going to apologize. He did eventually right. apologize, but she, that was a God moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there are some great questions for us to ask God as we are, are processing this. Um, Lord, what would you want me to say? What, what would you say to me today about forgiveness, humility, and moving forward? I think I love that posture of saying, okay, God, what, what do you want to say to me about this? Mm. Because lots of times we have lots of things to say, <laughs> you know, right. but just to, to quiet our, our hearts and say, Lord, Speak to me about what my one small next step might be. Teach me to be forgiving. Teach me to be humble. Um, how do I move forward? I feel stuck. I feel like I'm always going to be stuck. What do you have to say to me today? Mm, I like that. And and then, you know, what what right do I actually have to hold on to this? Mm. I, I started, I wrote that down next to that, that quote, like what, what, what are my rights to hold on to this? And when I really looked at it, I was like, well, I don't really have any, <laughs> I don't really have any rights to do this, um, to justify, to really justify hanging on to this. Yeah. It's humbling. It is. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really admire about this book and something that you guys address um, is 
that this does not apply to abusive relationships. And I really liked that because I think it can be easy for us. And I'm talking about, you know, this community in the Christian podcast community and, and um, speaking and writing when we're talking about the importance of forgiveness and delighting in differences and loving through disagreements for um, someone that's in an unhealthy relationship in a toxic in relationship to maybe justify staying in that. And I just love how you guys really put in a good section on how to clarify and identify a toxic person. So how important is it for us to understand that when we're talking about what God is wanting in our lives, that, that that's just not what he's talking about. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's the bottom line is that God is the lover of your soul. He is, he is for you. He wants to protect you. He wants you to thrive. And so if we are under any kind of physical abuse, mental, spiritual, emotional, verbal, like that is not of God. Um, that is not what he wants for you. And so this book is absolutely not a call to just put a bandaid, be a little more positive, endure a little, a little harder. No. And really those are, so Bonnie Gray writes a really great chapter all about, um, how to deal with toxic people in your life, um, how to set healthy boundaries, great questions to, to ask yourself, um, and I, and I do believe that when you have the Holy Spirit within you, as, as someone is going through this book and reading it, if there's something that is being described or even prescribed and you're like, if, if it doesn't feel right in your spirit, then it's probably not for you to apply. And so um, if you are feeling manipulated, if you are feeling coerced in any way, if somehow you get to the end of a conversation with someone and you you thought that you were hurt and now somehow you're the one in the wrong over and over and over again. Those might be some signs that you are in a toxic relationship and that that person does not have your best in mind. And so, yes, please take all of those things knowing that this is not for any kind of abusive situation. Um, at the same time, we acknowledge that abuse aside, like relationships are hard. Like it's not always going to be, um, you know, just, just warm hearts and, and kind words. Like we are all sinful, broken people who bring our baggage into relationships. And so really this book is a call to say when things get hard, like let's go against our cancel culture that just says like, nope, like you vote different, you believe something different. Like I just, I can't, I can't associate with you. No, like that's not the heart of God. Jesus interacted and loved well, all kinds of people from all walks of life. And that's what he's calling us to do the same. Right. Yeah. I loved that clarification. So thank you for, for putting that in there and for, you know, talking us through that. There were four words spoken through the authors in this book that can help us deal with those who think differently. And as we close our time together, I'd love it if you would unpack those four words for us. Yeah. So the words that I really gleaned as I got to go through all of these amazing stories and amazing chapters and insights, um, if I could boil it down to four words, it, it was these. Um, 
It takes curiosity, tenderness, time, and a whole lot of grace to really love one another well through our disagreements, our differences, and our discomfort. And so um, curiosity, uh, Michelle Couchat writes a great chapter about this, and curiosity really compels us to seek understanding someone else's point of view rather than arguing just for our own opinion, which we kind of already talked about. Um, curiosity puts respect for another person above our own assumptions. So again, it's going in with not already thinking that you know everything about their side of the story or their beliefs, but with a genuine curiosity um, that says, I will listen thoughtfully, even if I don't share your beliefs. Um, so curiosity really, I think, you know, takes down those defenses and really helps us be like, hey, I just, I really want to understand. And then that follows up with tenderness. Um, and tenderness is that invitation to be gentle with ourselves and with others. This one, I really felt like going into that Thanksgiving dinner with my family, I had to choose to be tender to realize that not only was I carrying you know, two decades of, of pain, but so were my parents. Um, and it's easy to be harsh. It's much more difficult to be tender. And yet that's one of my favorite qualities of Jesus, that he was really tender with people when they were feeling vulnerable, when they were feeling misunderstood. And the next word is time. And Lucretia Berry writes a great chapter about um, also kind of this topic of, of of forgiveness in a time when she was really wronged and she didn't want to forgive. She would prefer revenge, to be brutally honest. Um, but she talks about how, you know, she expected herself to forgive or get over it or move forward right away. And what she realized is that she really needed a lot of time. And that God was kind and understanding to give her that time she needed to walk through that difficult situation. Um, and so, again, there's a lot of freedom to say, like, you don't have to rush yourself. You don't have to fix it or control it or solve it, you know, right away. We live in this instant gratification, achieve it, you know, right now kind of world. But time says, again, God is God and I am not. I want him to be in control. And I trust that as he's working all things for my good, um, that I can trust his timetable and, and take that, that time that I need. And then grace, um, really to recognize and believe that his grace is enough to bridge the gaps between all of our differences. And when we focus on grace, which I'm sure you all know, grace is the unearned favor of God upon us. Like we don't, we don't deserve all of his goodness. We don't deserve all of his, of his compassion. But when we focus on that unearned favor, rather than focusing on all the ways that other people have disappointed us, what happens? We open our hearts to the gift of sitting with friends and family that we might otherwise discount or be tempted to even despise. And so really just inviting God's grace to cover it all. And I have to do it all the time, Sherry. Like if I'm going into a conversation, I'm like, Lord, let your grace cover it because I know I'm going to say the wrong thing. I know I'm going to, 
you know, misunderstand someone. I know I'm going to want to be heard more than I listen. God, would your grace be the focus and, and, and the covering? And so that's really my hope and prayer for this book that, that we will all walk through these stories and come to a place of greater curiosity, tenderness, and accepting God's gifts of time and grace um, in our, in our challenging relationships. Mm, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. So this is, um, a book that is written through encourage spell that. Cause a lot of people might not know how to spell that. Yes. It's encourage with an I. So I N C O U R A G E. And our website is encourage.me. And you can find out all about the book at encourage.me slash come sit with me. And then what's your own personal ministry website? Yeah. And I would love to connect with you guys too. Um, you can find me and all of my books and speaking stuff at beckykeefe.com. Um, Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. So if you listen to this conversation and are encouraged or have any questions, please reach out to me um, on Instagram. I'm just at beckykeefe. And you can also follow along and get to know our 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 writers, the 26 writers of this book by following um, Encourage, that's with an I on Instagram as well. Yeah. And spell your name. Uh, Becky, B-E-C-K-Y. My last name is Keefe, K-E-I-F-E. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate hearing from my listeners and I would love to have you visit my website at yourspiritualgameplan.com. Join my email list to get my newsletter and current downloads. Also, leaving a rating and review helps me know that the show makes a difference. And if today's episode would bless a friend or family member, please share it with them. I'll be back next week with another spiritual game plan.